This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to linksoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to nestbedding.com. Welcome into the 2023 Oakland Athletics Minor League Roundtable. We had so much fun last year. We're getting back. We're doing this again. We're talking about the minor leagues. We'll be talking about what happened this past year. We'll be looking forward to next year. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. I do the broadcast for the Lansing Lugnuts, the Oakland A's High A affiliate. And now here's the more illustrious members of the panel. First from Athletics Farm, Bill Moriarty. Good to have you. Good to see you, Jesse. From AAA Las Vegas, Matt Neverett, how are you? I'm doing well. This roundtable so nice we had to do it twice. And from Mudville, Alex Jensen, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's good to see you guys. The married life has left you in the darkness. It has. It has. There's a lot of uh, upheaval in our life right now. So um, I'm blurring out whatever's back here. Uh, you get a little preview right here, but I'm blurring out whatever else is back there. That's why we're so good in radio, right? It's it's the audio that carries things. That's right. Bill, I want to start with Bobby Crosby going from AA Midland, the manager of the Rockhounds, and returning to the major leagues. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll tell you, Jesse, you know, he's been... Bobby Crosby has been so well respected by players and everybody in the organization for the work he's been doing at Double A Midland as the skipper there. Uh, you know, it's been nothing but positive feedback all around about him. And as you know, the A's are an increasingly young and younger team. And a lot of those players that have come through um, Midland that he's managed and handled are now going to be in Oakland and even more of them will be in Oakland in the near future. He's got a good relationship, a good rapport with these guys as young players. And to have a guy that they they're confident in that they believe in, they trust, they know, and who knows them there on the major league staff can only help those guys continue their development at the major league level. Alex, you know, Bobby fairly well, right? Decently. He was, he was going to be the ports manager in 2020. Um, and we all know what happened in 2020. So I never got a season with Bobby, but you know, I got to, to chat with him quite a bit, uh, leading up to that non-season. I, you know, he's just, uh, he's a, he's a, I mean, I'm sure Bill could tell you, uh, he's, he's a baseball rat, man. He, he loves the game. And, um, I mean, that's, that's what he wants to be doing. And I think that, that love and enthusiasm for the game and, and working with younger players is extremely evident and it's i mean the proof is kind of in the pudding with what he's done at midland as bill mentioned the last couple of years matt when we're talking about we know what happened in 2020 you arrived in vegas in 2020 right yeah great timing i was with the uh, the pirates high a affiliate in bradenton florida for a couple of years before that and yeah i was pumped to get back i'm from las vegas originally so it was coming home for me and then uh yeah we all know what happened after that so after a, a year off where we basically just put out youtube content uh, from the aviators platforms it was great to get back into doing games in uh, 2021 came up the new Oakland, the Oakland A's next wave of prospects coming up. And I want to stick right with you, Matt, because whether it was Lawrence Butler or Tyler Soderstrom, or we can talk about those players, Zach Geloff, though, I think was the headliner of guys who began in Vegas and then impacted the major league level. What were your overall thoughts of seeing your aviators affecting the athletics? I think you said it best, that new Oakland, the, the guys like Butler and, and Geloff and Jonah Bride that have all kind of united and all have, you know, matriculated up through the system together. And it's been been fun to watch. And it was really fun to watch this year. As you mentioned, Geloff, he had 80 hits in 69 games in Las Vegas, stellar defense, 
where he really started to see some power. It was his second stint with the Aviators. He started to go gap to gap, and he maintained that momentum and actually increased it as he got the call-up. And a lot of times you won't see that from guys in their first time up to the big leagues, but he was emboldened when he was called up and, as you mentioned, was one of the best rookies, uh, not only in the American League, but in Major League Baseball throughout the course of the season. You know, if he had been there for a longer stretch of the year, I I think he would have gotten – you know, a top three position in in American League Rookie of the Year. He was phenomenal. And as I said, started to really unlock some of the power. And how about the advancement of Lawrence Butler? I mean, he he flew through the system and deservedly so. He's a a rare mix of speed and power. He's getting better defensively. He's always had an above average arm. And uh, you guys have known he's one of the the most fun guys on the team in the clubhouse. He's always just a, a joy to be around. And he makes some of those plays that you just go, wow, you know, you, you find yourself saying, wow, when you watch Lawrence Butler play. So uh, the, those two in particular, I, w- I was really, really impressed with, uh, you know, two guys that had gotten their first major league call up and got better as they got up there. They awarded him for his personality and character in the Arizona Fall League the year before. Bill, I'm going to come to you in a second. But first, Matt, uh, there's another wave coming of the players who didn't get the call up, but we know who's coming next. So my question to you is, how do you pronounce Daryl's last name? <laughs> it, it was one that uh, a lot going back and forth at the beginning of the year, Hernays. And uh, it's definitely a name you're going to want to know. He is really, really fun to watch. He really started to unlock a lot of things offensively this year, but really defensively. He had a stretch of 50 plus games in a row at one point where he didn't make an error playing in a premier defensive position in the infield at, at shortstop. And uh, all of a sudden, it's another guy who has, who has flown through the system. They got him in the Cole Irvin trade last year. That was a, a rare win-win for both sides because Daryl Hernandez is a legitimate major league shortstop. He's got some pop. He has one of the most aggressive approaches you'll ever see. Uh, but he does a good job of, of taking bad pitches. It's, it sounds funny, but he is very aggressive but also has a great eye. It's just, uh, you know, he's a guy that has patience too. So he's kind of an anomaly in a lot of ways. But, he, you know, he, he led all Oakland minor leaguers in hits this year. And, He's another guy that I expect to get better as he moves up to the big leagues. Bill, you are Athletics Farm. And just to take people behind the curtain, there's no double-A Bob Hards. These are not hard times. Bob is on vacation right now. So we've got Bill filling in to represent the double-A Midland Rockhounds. But because Alex, Matt, my scope is fairly limited to our affiliate, I can ask you about the overall system and about your impact, your, your opinion of watching this first wave arrive and the next wave coming upon the major league level. Yeah, well, with the A's in rebuild mode, this year provided a lot of opportunities for a lot of these prospects we've been hearing about and talking about for a long time. As Matt mentioned, Zach Geloff, cream of the crop, you know, and since he was drafted, he's moved through the system so quickly, and everybody's always spoken highly about him, just about his ability to play the game right on every level, you know, to have really good baseball instincts. And then you've seen a lot of those other guys, as you mentioned, like Lawrence Butler, Tyler Soderstrom, move on up through the system and make their major league debuts this year. But, you know, there's still more guys in the pipeline as well. Guys like uh, Denzel Clark at uh, at Midland. Before he went down with the uh, shoulder issue, he had better numbers at Midland than uh, Lawrence Butler did this year. And uh, Denzel Clark is just a really um, just I mean, he's got every tool in the book. You know, <laughs> the guy's got power. The guy's got speed. The guy can play in, in center field. Um, so 
I think Denzel Clark's another guy to keep an eye on. As Matt mentioned, I mean, Daryl Hernandez might be the next guy to really make an impact at the major league level. Uh, between Midland and Las Vegas, he hit about 320 this year um, as a young shortstop. And even more importantly, a lot of people questioned his ability to play shortstop. As Matt mentioned, you know, he, he was pretty solid defensively there. If he can stick at shortstop, the A's don't have a really offensive-minded shortstop, um, you know, on the major league roster right now. So um, Daryl Hernandez could, you know, maybe with a good spring training, even break with the big league club. But if not, I, I would certainly expect him to, to make his major league debut sometime in uh, 2024. And then also someone that Matt would know as well, Brett Harris, spent most of the season at Midland finished up the season at Vegas. And, um, you know, he's another really solid player, maybe not the talent level of a Geloff, but kind of profiles the same. And a guy who just kind of knows how to do everything the right way, you know, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, approaches the game in the has a good baseball IQ. He's a third baseman. You know, the A's aren't overly loaded with uh, third base uh, prospects on the major league um, level or at the high level of the minors right now. So Brett Harris is another guy could, who could potentially get an opportunity. And someone that shouldn't be forgotten who spent most of the year at, uh, at the Midland, who you'll know, Jesse, is our friend uh, Lazaro Armenteras, who's been in the A's system for a long time, struggled for a long time, but really put together his finest season so far this year. He was just added to the A's 40-man roster for the first time. I'd expect that he'll be starting the season uh, with Matt in Vegas this year. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Lazaro can do after all this time as, uh, as starting out as a high-level prospect then sort of falling off the radar a bit and now sort of getting his second wind and maybe starting to come into his own. So it could be fun and exciting to see what uh, he might be able to do in the next uh, coming season, uh, given his track record thus far. I want to use that Arizona Fall League connection because there was Brett Harris and there was Armenteros and there was also Max Muncie. So mm-hmm. we're talking position players right now. We'll talk pitchers in just a bit. Armenteros this year coming back to Lansing was a far better defender than he had been in prior years. He was a far better base dealer than he had been in prior years. And though there was still swing and miss when he made contact, which was more often and the at-bats were better and finished with more walks, the power was there and it was fun. Just to go back to Max Muncy, one of those Arizona Fall League teammates, he began in Lansing. And then, Bill, how about him flourishing in Midland? Yeah, that was a surprise. You know, you had Max uh, Muncy there at Lansing for the first half of the season. He did all right, but, you know, he wasn't setting the world on fire. He was holding his own. Then he got promoted to Midland Double A in the second half, which is usually Texas League is usually considered a, a difficult league for hitters. But Max Muncy got to Midland and suddenly kicked it into another gear and was hitting even better at Midland than he was at Lansing. And, uh, you know, he's a former first round draft pick. He's a talented guy. You know, he's got tools. And to show the ability to hit right off the bat at double A Midland shows that Max Muncy is not that far away from the major leagues either. You know, he could be about a year away from making his major league debut. Another exciting uh, shortstop prospect who would be um, great to see in in the green and gold. Uh, I think also, you know, you had a guy there all season, Daniel Susak, the catcher, another former first round draft pick who hit around 300 at Lansing, um, you know, just the year after getting drafted. This was his first full season in the pros, which is, uh, you know, a pretty impressive feat for a guy that, you know, just came out of college and is still pretty young. And, you know, those catchers, they take a lot of wear and tear, a lot of a lot of beating on their bodies and to be able to hit 300. His first uh, full season of pro ball, uh, I think, is pretty impressive for Daniel Susak as well. Bill, he hit 300, and it could have been better 
he was missing pitches. His at-bats, every now and then he'd give one away or he just flip the bat out because his bat-to-ball skills are so good, he could hit anything, and so sometimes he would. And as the year went on, we could see him locking in more and not giving away plate appearances and making sure that what was contact early in the season became barrels and harder and harder contact. He's such a big man that you expect him to hit for great power. But he's such an adept hitter, he doesn't need to. He just puts the bat on the ball, and then the ball can fly. So it was a blast to be able to see that. And Alex, I want to get you involved, because I love you, and you've been quiet so far, and that should change. 12 minutes and 10 seconds. (laughs) I'm sorry, what was that? (laughs) You saw this coming with Susak last year. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I only got a small sample size, probably about 50 games, but I kind of saw the same thing you did where, uh, you know, he, I think that going through each level for Daniel Susak in terms of his approach is going to be good for him because he's going to get exposed in a different way as every guy does. But, you know, he, he came into pro baseball with the, the, uh, reputation, as you mentioned, Jesse is, is kind of a free swinger and a guy that would expand the zone. So you kind of rein that in and you start being a little bit more selective and saying, okay, here is, you know, especially early in the count, here's what I'm looking for. Here's the window. Here's the area. Or, you know, for some guys, maybe it's the pitch type. Here's where I want to attack. And if I get that pitch, I'm going to put the barrel on it. And with Susak, uh, if he's able to do that, as you mentioned, uh, the ball is going to fly. So it, it can take a little while, I think, maybe even, you know, 500, 600 at bats and and kind of going back to the old school mentality of a guy needs a thousand at bats before he gets to the big leagues. Right. Um, so, you know, with with guys that may not have that approach right away, uh, that that can that can definitely be a good thing, because the more that, you know, the more levels you move up, the more that's going to be exposed. Uh, you know, if you're if you're chasing sliders a foot off the plate or, you know, you're you're uh, your approach is something that can be exposed by older pitchers, guys who really have an idea of what they're doing. But I agree with you. I think once Daniel Susak finds an approach that gets him in the strike zone, one that he's comfortable with, I think he has the potential to have an impact bat along with his reputation behind the plate. He was the first rounder in 2022. You saw the second rounder, Henry Bolte. And I don't think plate discipline is a problem for him. He's really exciting. Uh, you know, he's he he turned 20 in August, so he's still a really young player. Um, but to watch him go from high school and then seeing the numbers that he put up in in you know the Arizona League, uh, in the complex league after being drafted, you know, they were underwhelming, but it's it's your first exposure to professional baseball. Uh, but I mean, you want to talk about a tooled up guy. I'm not sure there's a more tooled up guy in the entire organization. I mean, tools that are comparable to like a, a Lazaro Armenteros. Uh, probably a little bit more of a refined approach. I'm waiting for him to get to that access, that pull side power because all of his home runs, 90% of his home runs that, that he hit this year in Stockton came to the opposite field, which is encouraging, but it's a legit, I had scouts tell me it's a legitimate 70, 75 grade power. Uh, you know, in Fresno, if you guys ever been to that ballpark, hitting balls over the video board and left center field, I mean, it is tantalizing power. And, uh, you know, I think that his ability to, to see the ball deep and hit the ball the other way hints at the fact that there may, may be a little bit more of a hit tool there uh, as well. And on top of that, of course, he can he can really run. So uh, it's a it's I think it's the type of pick you want to make in the second round. I think I've talked with you about this before, Bill, uh, a, a guy that has incredible upside. I mean, all star upside. And uh, boy, if he can refine his approach a little bit more, access that pull side power. 
um, again, I think it's super encouraging for him that he's able to hit the ball with authority the other way. Not many young hitters can do that. But if he can learn to get from deep in the zone to out front, I think the sky's the limit for him, especially if he can kind of keep those instincts and hit the ball away the other way with authority still. I mean, you're talking about a guy that could have, you know, 30, 35 home run potential. He was the second rounder. I think we need to talk about the third rounder because Alex, I think you agree with me when you talk about tools up. Bill, this might sound silly. Colby Thomas has loud tools. So Alex, I'll just set the table for you right there. Yeah, I think uh, it's, you know, it's a little similar to, to Bolte. I, it, it was interesting for me, uh, Jesse, because when I saw Colby Thomas, and especially the first couple of months, you remember he was, he hadn't really played in games for about a year. He was coming off that labrum injury in his shoulder, uh, you know, sliding in head for, and he was getting like first round buzz uh, before that, before I think he was leading all division one in, uh, in home runs. But um, you know, I would see the power kind of come and go as, as he kind of got back into game speed, but you saw the instincts. What I, what I really appreciate about him and, and I'll let you get more into this. Cause I'm sure you saw the same. Well, I love the way that Colby carried himself. I mean, it was just a very kind of even keeled intensity, if that makes any sense, wouldn't get too high, wouldn't get too low, but the way he played the game, uh, you know, I think is the way that it should be played. He played hard. Uh, you can tell it. It really, it really meant something to him. You mentioned the the, the power and the speed, but I, I just feel like the way that he carried himself. And Kevin Kuzminov told me the very first day, uh, you know, before opening day, that he's going to hit 30 home runs. It wasn't this year. Again, I think it it took him a couple months to get back into game speed. But I think Jesse, by the time you saw him, that he was maybe closer to that. And again, I just I think his makeup is exactly what you want in your organization. Here's the criticism of Colby. He tries too hard sometimes, yeah. <laughs> and it's really great criticism. You can see he'll press at home plate or in the field or on the bases, and for, for a coach to just say, or a teammate, reel him back and say, you're giving a little bit too much, and if you gave us a little less, we would still be fine because the man makes leaping catches at the wall. His arm is a howitzer. The power is real, and the ball explodes off his bat, and the speed is wonderful. He has game-breaking speed. His hustle doubles. I had to put together a highlight reel by the end of the year because if he lined a base hit in a shallow center and the center fielder didn't attack it, he was going to end up at second base. So, Bill, quite frankly, it felt like I was watching Denzel Clark all over again. All, all over again. But with a guy who stands, what, 5'11", 6 feet tall, he was a pocket rocket. It was a joy. So let me move right back up the ladder to first Bill and then Matt. Bill, who is a position player who you feel deserves to be talked about more? Uh, well, that's a good question. You know, I think there are a couple of guys. We talked about Hernandez, who people are talking about now, and Brett Harris, who people talk about a little bit. But I think also you need to look at a couple of those guys that Matt would know well that performed very well at Vegas this year. Uh, catcher Kyle McCann, for example, I mean, did a great job. Just a great left-handed hitting catcher, hits for power, uh, gets on base. Um, handles himself well behind the plate. I kind of expected him to be added to the ace 40 man roster this offseason. He wasn't. So he he will be able to be picked up in the rule five draft potentially. And another guy there at Vegas, again, who I'm sure Matt would appreciate is Max Schumann. You know, a guy who plays every position on the field, but catcher and pitcher plays them well, has speed, gets on base. He had about a uh, 400 on base percentage. He's pretty much had a 400 on base percentage the past few years in the A's minor league system and such a versatile player. 
again, another guy who was not added to the 40-man roster. Someone could pick him up in the Rule 5 draft. But if if Kyle McCann and Max Schumann are still around, um, you know, after the Rule 5 draft, I'd love to see those guys get a chance with the big club. But, you know, also down at uh, Midland, uh, a guy, another guy the A's got in the uh, deal with the Yankees for Frankie Montas. And I think people should remember what a great deal this was. The the three guys who pitched the most innings for the Oakland A's this year came over in that deal for Frankie Montas. You know, um, uh, they got three pitchers and they also got second baseman Cooper Bowman, who had a really good year at double uh, A um, Midland. And uh, he was going to play in the AFL. He had a bit of an injury, nothing major that kept him out of the AFL. But I think he's someone that uh, Matt might get a chance to see playing second base a lot next year in Vegas as well. And I think he's someone that people should uh, keep an eye on as well. Matt, here's your spotlight. Which position players would you like to give more attention? Well, Bill stole a couple of the ones that I was uh, thinking about. I mean, Kyle McCann certainly is a guy that uh, is at risk of being selected in the Rule 5 draft. As you mentioned, lefty bad, a lot of pop. Uh, comes from Georgia Tech uh, collegiately. You know, he's always been kind of a, a high-profile guy. He is a free swinger. The, the strikeouts can multiply and, and, and compound a lot of, the, a lot of them, uh, you know, back to back to back. Uh, one name that wasn't mentioned that is also Rule 5 eligible is a former first-rounder back in 2019 in Logan Davidson. And he hasn't necessarily panned out uh, to what typically you would expect from a, from a first-round pick. You know, he hit in the, in the 260s in Las Vegas this year, but he really did himself a lot of favors at the end of the campaign, hitting 319 in the month of September. He plays a premier first base, but he was actually moved around and ended up at one point or another playing all four infield positions defensively, including a handful of starts at shortstop. I think six or seven games he started at shortstop when the aviators were a little bit shorthanded at that position. So he's, you know, a team guy, he's a good clubhouse guy, able to move around. And as I mentioned, rule five eligible uh, for, I, I think another guy that, that could be taking, you know, big tools. He does have power, hasn't necessarily accessed a lot of that power in the, in the, his time in the A's organization yet. And one name that was a minor league free agent that has already re-signed to come back that's basically going to split time with Kyle McCann if he's still here at the beginning of the year is my man, Yoel Pozo. You want to talk about one of the most fun players in baseball. He was signed as a minor league free agent prior to last season. And not, not only did he hit for power, he hit in clutch situations. He actually had two perfect pitching outings where he didn't give up. Uh, I think he gave up one hit over, over two plus innings, but had a perfect zero ERA. And he, he was a crowd favorite and we'll be back in Las Vegas to start this year. And I think it has a legitimate shot to, to break camp with the big league club at the very least. He does have some major league time with the Rangers, but again, that's a name to keep an eye on as far as a minor league free agent that's going to be back with Las Vegas. Alex, Matt started to bring us into talking about effective pitchers. But before we do, let's talk about any position players you feel deserve some attention from Stockton this past year. I think Brendan Malone is a name that uh, a lot of people haven't mentioned yet. And maybe, you know, he is, he was a sixth round pick and starting the year at stock. I was a little surprised to see him back at Stockton to start last year, just because I feel like his approach was, you know, maybe more advanced than a lot of guys in the Cal league. And that really bore itself out, which I was expecting. I mean, he had a, a 410 on base and he, you know, he's kind of that old school uh, A's money ball type of approach, but his power really surprised me. I mean, for a guy that can they drafted him as a third baseman. I was kind of impressed by him at second. I think he's a better athlete than he gets credit for, but I thought there was a little bit more thump in his bat than, than I had previously seen in the 
you know, is when he joined the ports with uh, with Daniel Susak and Caden Trankel and uh, and that class. So I think Brendan Malone is a guy that that, you know, I, I think he's got a pretty high floor. Um, you know, I think he's got a chance to reach the big leagues, but I think he is definitely an upper levels of the minors type of hitter. I, I just think he ha- he has an advanced approach. And I think that the power again, to me was surprising. There weren't many times when, when guys made mistakes that he would miss it. I mean, he just had a, a, a great feel for the barrel and he did not give it bats away. Um, so finding a position for him is going to be kind of the challenge in Stockton. He played some third, he played mostly second and, and some first, but again, I think the, the approach is advanced. I think he's a professional hitter. And uh, I think that again, the power, uh, if he can continue to come into more power, I think that gives him a chance to make the big league. So Brennan Malone is my guy. He's so fascinating because of how much he studies his swing yeah. and everybody else's swing. Right. Like he could be a professor on swings with how much he is glued to his and everybody's video. I'm going to save a big name because I would like, after we talk about pitching to talk about the 2023 draft in particular. So you might know where I'm going there. And Alex, I'd like to come back to you to talk about your impressions of the 2023 draft picks that you saw. But a guy that Alex warned me about said, keep an eye on this guy. Be patient. Junior Perez was terrible in Lansing in April and May. I think he had something like 31 consecutive hit list at bats. And then he didn't. And he broke out of it. And he started hitting home runs in a ballpark where no one hits home runs. West Michigan, where a fly ball goes to die. And it makes everybody look like they have no power. And the Tigers start questioning all of their personnel decisions until they promote their prospects out of there. Well, Junior Perez had power, and he had speed, and he had bunting ability, and he had plate discipline, and he had defense. And once again, he and Colby Thomas, phenomenal throwing arms. So just somebody to watch that I kept on watching him throughout the year going, this is a real player. He has game-impacting tools. Love him. And a great guy. I, I did the first interview that he had done this year entirely in English that he had worked hard on. He sat down. We were proud. Just a wonderful person. And I'm sure that the three of you, we could talk about the characters of all of these different players and coaches, and that would be a whole other roundtable. Let's turn to pitching, though, first. And Bill, I'm going to start with you just on the overall perspective on the system when it came to what did you think about the strides that the pitchers made this past year? Well, you know, if you were a pitcher in the A's minor league system this year that was doing halfway decent, you had a good shot at being on the major league roster before the season was through. As Matt knows, those pitchers in Vegas, I don't think there was a single pitcher in Las Vegas who threw over 75 innings for the aviators this season. And uh, I don't think there was a single pitcher in Vegas who threw more than 50 innings and had an ERA under five, you know, but if if you had an ERA five or below in Vegas, you were probably on your way to Oakland this season, you know, and most of the A's top pitching prospects have already made their major league debut. They've they've already had an opportunity. Uh, Unfortunately, Baseball America just recently ranked the A's minor league pitching talent at the bottom of the pack, but that's mainly because most of their talented pitchers have already gotten a shot in the major leagues. You know, that's what happens. That's kind of what you want to have happen to have those minor league pitching talents graduate to the major league club. So the cupboard is a little bare in the system, particularly at the top, because most of those guys have already cracked the major league roster. Um, But there are 
you know, some really promising young guys who just sort of barely got a taste of it. I mean, Mason Miller is obviously a, a great pitcher in the making. He he really didn't hasn't pitched that much at the major league level. He's still technically considered a prospect. Also, Joey Estes came up from. I mean, Joey Estes had an amazing season in the minor leagues this year at, at Midland. He was almost unhittable, and then he he got about half a dozen starts at Vegas, and then he went went up to Oakland. I think he's someone to really keep an eye on. He led all A's minor league pitchers in innings pitched. He also had the best DRA and the best whip of any uh, A's minor league pitcher who threw more than 75 innings this season. So I think Joey Estes is someone to keep an eye on. Um, Joe Boyle looked good in his uh, um, late season debut with the A's. Uh, Hogan Harris, who was back and forth between Vegas and Oakland, I think still is a promising left-hander. Roy Bear Salinas struck out an average of 12 batters per nine innings at Midland this season and then pitched in the AFL. He was just recently added to the 40-man roster, so I think he's someone to keep an eye on. Um, so there there are some really interesting, promising pitching prospects in the system. Many of them have already gotten a look at the major leagues, but but there are still plenty of them that will be probably back and forth between Oakland and Vegas this season. So Matt, you'll be the welcoming committee. You'll be the, all right, take care. Uh, I think that Joey Estes, by the way, also leads the Oakland Athletics Farm System in most baseball cards collected because that man <laughs> is a collector. Matt, what were your thoughts about the pitchers that you saw come through Vegas? You know, one thing you got to consider when you consider pitchers in Vegas is the ballpark factor. The Pacific Coast League has been always known as the best offensive league in all of minor league baseball. And Las Vegas, we're at about 3,500 feet elevation. There's a jet stream to both left and right center field. It is one of the top offensive environments in in baseball at any level. So that's one thing that you have to always consider when looking at Oakland prospects through the Las Vegas lens. And uh, Bill, you you were spot on about basically anybody who had a little bit of success got the call up. So it's it's always great. That's what's one of the my favorite parts about the AAA level is getting to wish so many guys off for their major league debuts because there there is nothing like it when you when you see a guy getting a phone call whether you're on a bus or in the dugout or at the stadium early, you can just tell by the body language, you know, what that, that phone call is. And there was so many guys that got the chance. Uh, Mason Miller is, a, is one of the more intriguing prospects, I would say, in all of baseball. And uh, he, was, he was pushed up quickly. He made four starts with the Aviators, 12 scoreless innings. And how about a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 23-2 to two in that stretch? His first outing of the year with Las Vegas was five perfect innings, and he was pulled. I think something like 11 or 12 strikeouts because they're really, really keeping an eye on uh, both his elbow and his shoulder. If they can keep him healthy, he's going to be one of the most dynamic pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. But if you go to fan graphs right now, guys, and look at the, the projected 26-man roster, and then you go down to the couple of guys that they've got listed as starting the year in Las Vegas, you've got five starting pitchers on the 40-man roster that are at least right now on fan graphs projected to be in Las Vegas. Listen to this potential rotation for the Aviators to start the year. Joe Boyle, Freddie Tarnock, Joey Estes, Hogan Harris, Osvaldo Beto. That's pretty darn good. And so I would say at, at this point, we're going to see kind of a log jam between Oakland and Las Vegas as far as starting pitching. And it's kind of similar to how it was at the beginning of last year where the Aviators had some really solid starting pitching to start the year. And while the injuries and other instances of the major league level bumped a lot of those guys up, we're going to continue to see a lot of guys rotate in and out as they, as they try to get the system going. Osvaldo Beto is a guy that I actually spent a year with in Bradenton when we were both in the Pirates organization in, in 2019. And, I mean, he's a long, lanky right-hander. He does such a good job of getting close to the plate. I mean, his arms and legs, he looks like a smaller version of, a, of an NBA player. He's not, not, not quite that tall, but 
He does a really good job of, of going downhill, releasing the ball a little bit closer to the plate. So his 92-93 looks a little bit closer to 95-96. And I think that could be an advantage even in an offensive friendly environment. So I think that, you know, the Aviators pitching this year to get it going will be interesting to see who we start with. Uh, keep in mind, Jack Cushing was the opening day starter for Las Vegas last year. He made three starts and then was uh, back down to Midland. So he's another guy that is A, Rule 5 eligible, and B, uh, likely going to be starting the year with the Aviators again. Matt, I want to go back to you talking about seeing guys getting told that they're heading up. Is there any one memory in your mind where it was special that stood out? Uh, what's funny is the uh, the Joey Estes one is one that, that stands out because we were on the bus uh, on the way to the airport uh, from a series in Round Rock. We were, we were driving to the Austin airport. That's that's my actual favorite thing about the AAA level is flying, even if it is commercial. We'll, we'll, somehow, we'll, I guess we'll survive. But I was actually the last one on the bus with all my gear. Uh, I, I just ran on. As you guys know, sometimes you're kind of just sitting with whoever. And uh, yeah, Joey Estes, third, third row, open aisle seat. I said, hey, man, you mind if I sit here? To second, my pants touched the floor, the the seat. His phone rang. He picked it up and immediately just started glancing around. He called both parents, and I was like, "You want me to go?" I asked him. I said, "You want me to go sit somewhere else?" And he was like, "No, you're good." I, in his mind, I probably didn't even exist at that point. So that's one that stands out. Uh, Garrett Acton was another one this year that is a guy that had certainly deserved it. He had gone through a lot of adversity. Uh, it was a, a guy that was a, a projected, you know, sixth to eighth round pick in the 2020 draft ends up going undrafted because as we all know, that draft was only five rounds. And so it, here's a guy who is expecting a couple hundred thousand dollar bonus getting, you know, 10 K to sign with the A's on a, we'll, we'll try you out basis and to see him work his way up, going through some of the things that he had been through from an injury perspective as well. That was another one uh, as far as guys in this past year that I was probably one of the most happy for. Alex, let's talk about why the cupboard might not necessarily be bare. Su Chen Sha showed up in Stockton. Luis Morales showed up in Stockton and more. What were your thoughts on the Ports Arms? Well, we only saw Luis Morales for about three weeks. I mean, he I, I think he showed the A's quite a bit in the Dominican Summer League because the, what I had heard was there was a chance that he didn't get out of the Complex League uh, last season, but as you know, he ended up in Lansing uh, to end the year. Was that right? Did he end in Lansing or did he, he did? He yeah, that's close. right. I, I wasn't sure if he he got above Lansing for a start or two, but uh, you know, another, right, another guy as advertised. I mean, I think what I was most impressed about uh, with Luis Morales, I mean, the, the velocity was obvious, but just his, how easy it was for him uh, to get the ball going downhill and really just pound the knees because the the slider was, and I think the spin rate, um, you know, not to get too into the weeds, but was over 3000 uh, several times, which is like an elite number. Um, so, you know, just his ability to tunnel those two pitches, you know, it, the, the command with the slider wasn't uh, all the way there, but it's, it's, I mean, it's an arm, it's a package, it's, it's a, it's a pitcher's body that you can kind of dream on. Um, and he can, you know, I mean, he's a guy that can be up there with Mason Miller, uh, with some of the best pure stuff in the system and, and, you know, really in the minor leagues next year, if he can put that, uh, together, you mentioned to Chen Shah, who's, who's an intriguing and another guy, uh, who didn't pitch this year was, um, Chen Zhang, uh, Zhuang, who they both came from, uh, Taiwan. They're a little bit different. I, I felt like, uh, Zhuang was uh, more of a power guy, 95, 96, with an excellent changeup. Shaw is like 6'4", and I, I can't remember what he was listed at. It was uh, He's listed at 6'2", 165. He's got to be 6'4", 
165. I mean, just, you know, he's got, he's got some room to put some, some weight on, uh, but pinpoint control uh, with his fastball. And in the Cal league, you can really uh, buzz through some bats. Uh, you know, if you're able to, to put the ball where you want it, like he was. So, uh, you know, those, those are, those are two of the bigger ones. I'm sure you'll, I'll let you touch on Gunnar Hoagland uh, because he was impressive. I know when he got to Lansing, but there, there were a few other arms. Eduardo Rivera was a, an 11th round pick in 2021, six, seven. Um, you know, I don't know. He may be a reliever in the future, but he really got his body into shape and he was up to 96, 98, um, you know, by the end of the year with a wipeout slider. And then uh, I know James Gonzalez made his way back to Lansing and it was great to see James Gonzalez put together uh, the year that he did. He's kind of an under the radar guy with a really good changeup. His breaking ball was, you know, way improved from years past. I mean, he used to just be kind of a fastball changeup and even saw him get up to 94, 95. So those are the, some, some of the guys. And Jose Dicoche is another one um, who, who really burst onto the scene early. I know that they wanted, and uh, you know, you can expand on him, Jesse, because uh, you know I know he spent the majority of the year in Lansing after he was dominant. So he might have been the best pitcher in the Cal League, uh, you know, for the first six weeks or so. Uh, but getting him to rely on you know other deliveries other than the cutter, you know, at the low A level, it's not always about getting outs. It's about you know teaching yourself how to how to refine and develop your other pitches in some situations you may not necessarily be comfortable with. So it's more about developing the player than it may be at the AAA level with you, Matt, getting outs, trying to get to the big leagues. Uh, but Jose Dicoche has another uh, intriguing arm that that put up some video game type numbers in Stockton as well. I think it's going to be interesting to see what Dico does next year because yeah. of how important this year was in taking that step forward. Tyler Baum is another guy in terms of 2023 was so different from 2022. Now, how does he build on it? Because the stuff is there. Now he's not his own worst enemy. And now what does he do? Gunnar Hoagland is not in that category because I would compare him to Brendan Malone. Those yeah. two guys told me during the year that they weren't what they need to be yet. And for Gunnar, it was the body. It was getting himself back to 100%. He still wasn't there. Brendan, it was mechanical things. But each of them going, if this is what you're doing when you're not right yet, what is going to happen should, if, when you get right? Because Gunner showed up and he was nearly perfect immediately in his Midwest League debut. Knew exactly what he was doing. That, I love that cliche. He had an idea. And so the batters were helpless. James Gonzalez has an idea. The changeup is devastating. One of the best changeups I've seen. The curveball, he can throw it for a strike whenever he wanted. And so if that fastball is there too, that's a wonderful pitchability lefty with stuff that takes you by surprise and he could go deep. Yeah. And then the the final guy that I'll throw out from Lansing, uh, I'll throw out two more names. I was so glad to see what Jack Perkins did in the Arizona Fall League. Alex, you told me about Jack. You gave me the early warning. What an arm. So he stays healthy. He studies. He is a grinder. And when he's on the mound, he personifies that cliche of bulldog, where he is not going to give in, coupled with, fantastic stuff. Brady Basso. What a wonderful year for Brady Basso, the Southpaw putting himself on the map the same way that we had seen Hogan Harris do the year before in Lansing. The Basso curve is marvelous. He knows exactly what he's doing with it. And so it's going to be interesting to see how does he build coming off of Tommy John, missing so much time, thinking perhaps that his professional career was over. These were really good steps 
for a lot of different pitchers in the organization who either hadn't pitched or had pitched to terrible results in 2023 changed things around for them. I do have one more, just a name to file away. And he's, you know, he's an older guy for the Cal League, but Garrett Irvin uh, put together a fantastic year with the ports. His fastball plays up. It's 91-92, but I think he's a, a Swiss Army knife type of guy. You could use him long relief. You could use him for uh, one or two hitters. And I was I was a little surprised that they never started uh, Garrett Irvin. And again, he was more advanced than some of the some of the hitters, several of the hitters that he faced in the Cal League, but great pitch ability guy, four pitches for a strike. So just file that name away. Garrett Urban, undrafted free agent in 2022. He was the Arizona ace, uh, and he was battery mates with Daniel Susak on that Wildcats team. So I'm just going to be interested to see how he does as he continues to climb the ladder as well. Alex, I'm coming right back to you because I want to talk about 2023 draft picks. And then we'll wrap things up. Matt, Bill, Alex, all of your thoughts on the system as a whole. 2023, I'll start with Jacob Wilson, the first rounder. We got to see him in Lansing. Uh, every single day, there was the highlight defensively. There was a game where they put him out there as a defensive replacement, and I didn't catch it right away. And then somebody hit a ball deep into the five and a half hole, the Tony Gwynn hole. And suddenly the shortstop was over, ranging photos right, firing it across. And I thought, oh, Jacob Wilson came into the game. He was such a joy to watch defensively. His energy was palpable. Matt, you know the kind of energy that Joey Estes had constantly where he couldn't stay still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's Jacob Wilson energy. What I enjoyed the most in watching him play, beyond the bat-to-ball skills, beyond the defense, beyond the instincts, because it was fun to watch. The ball would come back into the infield from the outfield, or there would just be a, a ball into no man's land. What could you do? And he was always looking up. He was looking where are the runners, where does the ball need to go? There was no casual sense about it. His head was constantly in the game, but he had just tons of youthful energy where you go, he's playing like a kid out there. There was so much fun. What I appreciated most about Jacob uh, was that it's the end of the season. And I do not trust players who are undrafted free agents or draft picks from that year. Casey Yamauchi, I love you, finished off the year with us and was dynamite. But at the end of the year, he was exhausted. Jacob was exhausted, so he didn't make the final road trip to Lake County. I don't trust the player's energy level, so I say, whatever they're showing me right now, this is great. But imagine what they could be when they've had a full offseason to relax, rest, be back home, see their family, and then come back to next year's spring training. That's what got me most excited about what Jacob could be. Now, Alex, to you for your thoughts on the 2023 draft picks you saw. Well, a guy that that we saw in Stockton that I, I got to be honest, I was a little surprised to see at the end of last year was Miles Naylor, uh, you know, 18 years old, playing in the Cali, coming out of, uh, you know, high school in, in Canada uh, of all places. So there were some struggles there for sure. But one thing that really surprised me, and I know he, you know, that he profiles, um, you know, his draft profile was was strong with the bat and and his power potential. And I certainly saw that. He was a much better defender than I thought. And they played him at shortstop. You know, I know he was listed as a third baseman. They played him at short. I thought he showed really good instincts. I thought he was uh, showed uh, tremendous athleticism for an 18-year-old kid who was uh, 6'2", 195. Um, you know, the power didn't always show up in games. There was there was definitely some swing and miss, which you'd expect from an 18-year-old playing 
you know, at, at that level. And, and it took, I, I think it took him a couple of weeks to kind of get used to the speed of the game, but you know, he showed up with the ports first week in Visalia hit a home run in that series. So I, I, I think that there is uh, you know, he's a gamer. He, he's, he's kind of the, the, the quiet type, but again, that same type of intensity we talked about with Colby Thomas, um, but again, I, I think what was most impressive to me, we knew about the bat, we knew about the power, his, it, again, his defense and athleticism, uh, was, was really what stood out to me. I thought he had excellent hand. He was a pretty sure handed shortstop, uh, at 18 in, in minor league baseball, Jonah Cox, uh, the sixth round pick had a, a heck of a college season. I, I think he set, or he's like the third longest, uh, hitting streak in division one history, uh, ridiculous energy. I mean, he has to like this little hop that he does every time he digs into the batter's box and just kind of personifies his whole game. He was 14 of 16 on stolen bases. He can really fly. He's six, three. I mean, he's a big dude uh, that can, that can run and has some pop. Again, there was a little bit of swing and miss there. And I, I think when the A's get these guys out of the draft uh, and Bill, you could probably attest to this. They really just kind of let them go. They don't really put their hands on them too much yet. You know, show us what you can do. And we'll kind of take it from there in the offseason and, and work on some things that that, you know, where we think you can improve. And, you know, most of these guys coming in, they don't see the type of of arms that you see in, in the Cal League, you know, guys throwing 95, 96. Some of them no idea where it's going. Uh, but so there 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 was some growing pains with Jonah Cox. But, you know, he also hit close to, to 300. Again, he was a menace on the base pass and he was very good in the outfield. So I think there's a hit tool. I think there's power and I think there's a lot of speed there. Uh, like an air, I had a couple scouts compare him to like an Eric Burns type of player. Plays with that type of energy and he's got kind of a similar type of skill set. And then a 15th round pick, Will Simpson out of the University of Washington. And uh, he was Cal League Player of the Week sometime in, in late August or early September. Uh, clearly an advanced bat. I think that there are some things that they want to do with his swing plane because it is a bit of an uppercut swing, but he showed very good hand eye. I mean, uh, an, an ability to put the bat on the ball and an ability to drive the ball uh, from foul pole to foul pole. So power potential, uh, again, a more athletic guy than you would think at 6'4", 225. He moves well. He's He was a good defensive first baseman. Um, so, you know, I think I, it, it's, it was, it was a, a solid group of position players for sure. I'm, I'm really excited to see how miles Naylor continues to evolve his game. I don't think Jesse, that we're going to see in Stockton this year, Cox or Simpson, they'll probably be uh, coming your way. I would imagine anyway, I mean, I, you know, we'll see what happens in spring training, but I'm really excited about, you know, what we're going to see from miles Naylor, both how he improves this off season as a hitter and how he continues to grow as a defensive player. I'll be ready to roll out the red carpet, but rolling up the red carpet right now, we're wrapping things up. Matt, any thoughts that you need to get in before we close things down? It's going to be an interesting year at the top of the A system, as you had alluded to earlier. The new Oakland has kind of gone up and made their major league debut. No longer prospects. We're talking Soderstrom, Geloff, and Lawrence Butler. We're going to start to see the next wave of position players move up. Guys like Daryl Hernandez, Brett Harris. I think Logan Davidson is apt to make his major league debut if he can make a strong start uh, either in spring training to the year or a strong start here in Las Vegas. And then there's some exciting pitching. There really is, especially when it comes to hard-throwing right-handers. you got Mason Miller, Joey Estes, Joe Boyle, even a guy like Roybert Salinas, I think, is a guy that can make an impact even at 22 years old at the, at the major league level. So it'll be interesting to see who starts with Las Vegas? As I had mentioned, A, it is the most offensive-friendly environment league-wide 
in all of baseball. So a lot of the numbers are inflated or deflated, depending on which side of the ball you're on. And also, it's interesting to see who uh, is going to start in Las Vegas pitching-wise, because that, as always with the ace system over the last couple of years, there's a, a good group of about eight or nine guys that they could you know, fashion into a major league starting rotation. And the rest start the year in Vegas. And there's a lot of shuffling uh, in there. Those five guys that I had mentioned earlier that fan graphs uh, have projected to start the year in Las Vegas as their rotation all have multiple options, including Osvaldo Bito, who was signed with two options remaining. So uh, it's going to be a lot of moving parts as it always is. But, uh, and as always also the offense in the beginning part of the year is a lot higher than in other parts of the country, at least out here in the, in the in the PCL. So it's always exciting to start the year, and it's always exciting, as I had mentioned earlier, to see these guys off, whether it's their major league debut or, in the case of some of the older veterans, the 13th, 14th time that they've gotten up there. Bill Moriarty, your final thoughts? Uh, you know, I think with the A's still in rebuild mode, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, which players crack the major league roster and make their major league debuts this year. There are still exciting guys, as we've mentioned, shortstop Daryl Hernandez, third baseman Brett Harris, outfielder Denzel Clark. Those are all guys who could be making their major league debuts before the 2024 season is through. It's always exciting to see what th- those guys can do when they get their first opportunity on the major league stage. And then, you know, a lot of the A's most recent uh, first round draft picks have been performing well. And those guys are in line as well. Guys like shortstop Max Muncy, catcher Daniel Susak, shortstop Jacob Wilson, who you just mentioned. Those are all recent first round picks who have been performing well so far in the system. And those guys will be on the move up the ladder as well. And the A's will have another high draft pick coming this summer, too. So it'll be fun and exciting to see who they're able to add to the system come July. We can't wait to see that. That's the fun of it for all us. We get to see them first and then you get to see them at the major league level. Alex Jensen, your final thoughts. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see uh, where some of these guys from the 2023 draft class end up and, and you know, what their debuts look like. Uh, Ryan Lasko, the second rounder out of Rutgers. We didn't see him outside of Arizona. Seventh rounder, Nate Nankeel out of uh, Cal State Fullerton. He never left Arizona. And then you look at some of these high school pitchers. This is the most intriguing, at least when talking about you know, the lower levels of the minors of the A's system to me, Steven Echevarria, who signed for three million. I'm assuming, you know, as as long as he and uh, the fourth rounder that was uh, Miller stay healthy, uh, Cole Miller, that I would imagine they'd be in Stockton at some point this season. So I I think for me, you know, an organization that has been a little hit and miss with high school, uh, you know, high school pitchers uh, in their past. What are these guys going to look like when they get to to minor league baseball and, and finally make their professional debut? I think those two guys, the third and fourth rounders from last year, Echevarria and Miller, I'm most excited to see next year. Alex Jensen, the voice of the Stockton Ports and sometimes the Oakland A's. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jesse. Bill Moriarty with Athletics Farm. Bill, thank you for your time. Thanks. And Matt Neverett with the Las Vegas Aviators. Matt, thank you. Happy to help. Great to be talking baseball this time of year. Yes, yes, sir. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strasser. My final thought is thanks to the commander, Cody Elias, for putting this all together. This has been the A's Minor League Roundtable. We thank you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 